now I can connect with business folks and entrepreneurs and offer my insights and partner up or you know help them come up with pitches or help uh, put some of my copywriting guys on their jobs and it all comes from people knowing me so well and knowing those stories. You hear all the bull about marketing every day. Make your money in your sleep. My new offer is crushing it. My guru could beat up your guru. It's time to go right to the source and get the truth about marketing. With your host, the founder of CopyChief.com, Kevin Rogers. Hey, welcome to another great episode of The Truth About Marketing, the show where we go deep with the real experts, the people who are in the trenches every day making it happen, and have them reveal to us the one big thing that moved the needle in ways they couldn't have expected. Uh, proud to have a longtime friend and a guy I admire on many levels, Jason Prophet Moffat with us today. How's it going, Jason? Going real good, man. Super stoked to be here. Yeah, thanks for making time. I know you've got a lot going on. Um, for one thing, you are ju just ready to move to Hawaii right now, yeah? Yeah, September 1st, moving to Maui. And uh, man, I've been waiting wow. 10 years. And it's, coincidentally, as long as I've been in the trenches, since I've been marketing, I've been wanting to get back to, to Maui. Mm. It's finally happening. And so how how much time had you spent there before? Did did you grow up there? Did you just No, I spent the first time I just aimlessly took a one way ticket there and spent, I don't know, maybe six weeks. Mm. And I knew I wanted to go back. And then I ended up going back, um, I don't know, about 12 years ago or I'm not sure quite when it was. But uh, I stayed for about seven months that time. And then I still knew that, like, this is my spot. Mm. And I came back to the States and then I got a dog. And oh, right. Ian Weber prevented Weber. me from going back because mm -hmm. it's like a six-month process to get your dog over there. Oh, wow. And where, so, where's Weber now? Is Weber... Uh... He's sitting right outside. Uh, I'm in my RV office, actually. Nice. And uh, Weber's chilling out, holding down the Ford out front. Sweet. So Weber will go with you. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's going with, but... You just uh, finally organized the time to... Yeah, I didn't... I couldn't put him in a in a quarantine for any amount of time. So to avoid that, it takes six months. Gotcha. Right. Cool. And yeah, your lifestyle, yeah, I've said this about you many times, but it, it just continues to be true, dude. You are, you're the greatest reality TV show I know on, on, <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> uh, just one of the most transparent cats. And that's become like a, a little buzzword, but you just been living this way in front of everybody for so long it, it's not a calculated thing with you and it's just always fascinating man because you're so raw you really understand how to communicate with people in an effective way to get them wanting to share their stories with you uh you know why frank kern calls you one of the most you know the greatest communicators in marketing um, oh man, I wish I heard had that clip. I never heard him say that. <laughs> well, I may be paraphrasing, but uh, <laughs> you know, he, he certainly like, calls you shit talker in the West. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, you, you've you've just been you know, it's another buzzword, but hustling uh, your your whole life, man. You've you've done everything. Um, speaking speaking of hustling, I'm looking right across at the old A-frame shack that I used to live in. And when I, I, it was after I came back from Hawaii that time. I literally had um, 
no plumbing, no mm. kitchen, no bathroom, but I had a dial-up internet connection on the side of, of the tree. And uh, back then, I was hustling um, magic tapes. Mm. I was going from bar to bar <laughs> and, and selling tapes out of my backpack. But I'd do a crazy magic trick and make something float, and then guys would freak out, and I would <laughs> sell them the tape. And earlier when we got onto Skype here, Skype informed me that it was your birthday today, which apparently it's not. <laughs> and so I told you I had a funny story about fake birthdays. Yeah. So when I would be out hustling in bars selling these magic tapes, uh, you know, sometimes you could run into a situation where people weren't quite appreciative of it. And dudes would get pissed, actually, and almost want to beat me up and only had street smarts to kind of get out of it sometimes. <laughs> and I'm trying to get, you know, these people's money, too, by swindling tricks. So uh, I found that if I go into a bar and I just tell people it's my birthday, <laughs> they're way nicer to you. And they buy you drinks and everybody loves the birthday guy. And so it's, it works so well that I just it was my birthday every day, no matter what, everywhere I went, I would just tell everybody it was my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, dude. And yeah, even if even if you get found out by that time, the party's probably rolling, and yeah, yeah nobody and cares anyway, right? No one's ever ID'd somebody to make sure it's their birthday, unless you're like Chuck E. Cheese trying to get the free pizza. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, that's great, man. So but, funny. Uh, but so after, you know, I was actually creating, I, I, I sat next to a bonfire with my T-shirt off. I took the back seat of my 76 Chevy Blazer and set it next to a fireplace, had a ghetto camcorder, and recorded like 11 tricks wow. uh, on, on VHS tapes, too. Mm. Um, and I realized later on, I was I was creating information products before I even knew what information product was. Right. And, uh, and that was the beginning. And then pretty soon I got the internet right after that and started selling all kinds of crazy stuff. So it was the idea that you, you went out and were you sort of selling the product before you made it? Well, no. It started, I learned a levitation trick in mm. Vegas. And I would just do that in bars and get people to pay me where from, you know anywhere from a beer to a hundred bucks to learn how to do it. Mm. And I would teach it to them on the spot right there. But as soon as you would teach them the trick, they are severely disappointed. And then <laughs> super as in any magic trick. I mean, it's just, right. They're, yeah. They're not great when, you know, the magic's gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so when you also have their money, they feel really duped. And so it's like, I need to figure out a way to like, cushion this or i'm gonna get my ass kicked soon yeah i need to not be here when they discover exactly the trick so that's what, <laughs> i went out and i learned a bunch of other tricks and then i <laughs> recorded them just next to a fire on that chevy seat bench and um and did you use the fire thing. as a backdrop like a, like an extravagant david blaine like yeah 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 but i mean it's just horrible man and i'm drinking <laughs> jack the whole time too so, like the the uh the second half of the video i bring it indoors into the crazy shack i'm doing up close card tricks and you can see me just getting slosh <laughs> and so and then i record those from one vcr to the neck the two vcr setup just going back and forth recording over like oh, foot, footloose tapes and stuff like that <laughs> from the thrift store i'm not even lying and then i get a old pc like thing i made these crappy uh labels these peel peel and stick labels over the top of the footloose or ghostbusters vhs <laughs> so, you'd watch, so you'd watch my 40 minute magic presentation and then it cuts over to pretty woman or whatever <laughs> 
Dude, I love when you made the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man appear. That was killer. <laughs> I remember one time I was in government camp and these girls were walking up to me like, oh my God, that's the guy in the video. And I was like, what? And she was like, oh, we were in Whistler last night and we saw your magic video. I was like this, I've made it. This is awesome. Oh, man. That's him, officer. <laughs> <laughs> but that tape, what it did, so I would usually, I would go in and he, Here's the routine that I would always do. I'd go in. I would assess the whole room. I would look for the guys that I thought I could get money from, from a variety of things, from shoes to watches to actual wallet sitting next. You sit next to the cash register when someone orders beer. You try to look and see what kind of money they have. Mm. And so I would assess the place, drink a beer, and then you look for any pretty ladies in the place. And you try to do the trick. I would levitate like... Uh, maybe a quarter or, or some flat object in the bar and I would try to do it in front of the girls where the guys could see it and the reaction was almost crazy because mm. you're like stuff's levitating so we're like what and then in the guy's mind they're probably thinking oh my gosh I could totally get laid if I could do that right so it's like and social proof was built into the pitch it was perfect, and it wasn't me going up to the dudes going, hey, I got a trick for you. Yeah. I would just be doing the ladies, and then the dudes would be like, what? And they'd come up, how do you do that? How do you? I'm like, I can't tell you. And the longer I would hold off on it, the higher I could kind of drive the price up. Wow. And then finally, I'd be like, well, you can learn that and 12 other tricks on the, on the VHS. Dude, that- and then they would have the tape in their hands. Yeah, I love so- this, because, you know, we talk about the art of salesmanship, of being sort of dead like you know who goes door to door anymore and you know it's a sort of a dying breed people who can make those claims you know uh but this is like even beyond that I mean, no. this is like real risk your life stuff well um i used to drive into town in my truck with just enough gas to get into town i live about an hour out of town so it's a 76 blazer doesn't get good gas mileage so i would roll into town have no money the only way i could get home was to have to go into a bar and find someone to buy one of my tapes Mm. burn the ships yeah so (laughs) it was uh (laughs) that's great dude i love it i love it it uh, it was intense and so back then though to me it seemed like so much easier than getting a job. The idea of getting a job just was like such a burden to me. I was like, I could just go out and do that. Now when I reverse think about it, I'm like, there's so much effort to go out in the bar, <laughs> bar to bar. <laughs> Hustling tapes, what were you doing? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you're definitely an, an unhirable. You know, there's no doubt about that. There's some people who sit on the fence. Maybe I should get a job. Or, you know, Carl, Carlton always talks about like that's the gut check of any freelancer you know once you start getting known someone's going to come offer to buy up all your time and how you react to that is what determines if you're a true freelancer or a true entrepreneur you know yeah. for you man I, it's just like no way you could <laughs> i don't know i mean I'd, I'd like i'd have to be highly inspired to where it's like oh, my man. favorite thing to always want to right do. yeah it would have to be all on my own time yeah yeah, yeah. So, um, well, cool. So, all right, great um, lead up to the big question here because, again, you've you know done so many things to make money early on. Then you sort of really hit the jet stream. Uh, so I'm really interested to find out the answer, how you answer this question. And the question is, what's the one thing you did in your business, um, in your marketing, that produced the most surprising results? I was really surprised by this, but uh, 
I think it was maybe five years ago, I had built a really successful information product business, had some niche businesses that did really well. And it was before, and actually, I don't think you still need a whole lot of skill now to even run business. It's fairly simple, mm. uh, all the tools that are provided. But I really didn't know all the in and outs of how to run my business. I didn't feel comfortable doing FTP and um like editing pages and all the tech stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah man. And it, it gave me a lot of anxiety and I had a mm-hmm. great assistant who'd work with me and help me build everything and, uh, hold down the fort. And, um, he decided to go work for his church. And so I was supportive of that and thought it was cool. But now I'm out the tech guy to help build all my stuff. Right. And stuff and, being, uh, courses and, and yeah, courses mm-hmm. and the, cu- the customer service. In fact, I had the greatest customer service you'll ever see. Um, I had my guy live on Ustream with the camera pointed on him all day on my website. So wow. if you ever needed help or questions or anything, talk about transparency. Mm-hmm. Like guys right there, you can watch him pick his nose all day or whatever <laughs> he's doing. I mean, he can't get away from the camera and I can be off in Iowa and check in on my guy too. And uh, so anyways, he decided to to quit. And instead of, you know, plugging somebody in and teaching them how to do all his stuff, which I didn't really, I was overwhelmed, didn't really think I could teach it all. I just was like, you know what, I'm going to shut down the whole business, buy an RV and just cruise the road Hmm. and and crank up the Willie Nelson every time I want to change cities. Right. And I was on the road again all over. And I thought, too, it was like, I want to go to every little city and just meet my customers. Yeah. And just meet anyone who wants to meet up. Let's go out and have a beer and um, I'll announce where I'm at. And so I figured I could do that and make affiliate income for, I don't know, I thought maybe six months. And my list at the time wasn't that big. It was, I don't know, five, six, seven thousand people, um, which it had always been around that many people. And. I took off on the road and uh, and I was started selling stuff uh, as an affiliate. And I noticed I was still making about the same amount of income as when I had all the other st- products that I was mm. selling. And I didn't have any of the stress. Right. But I was like, yeah, well, how long can this last? Yeah. And, uh, and next thing you know, I do a promotion here, there, and ooh, 25 grand. Sweet. You know, I'm on the road again. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> <laughs> and I was just having a blast and I was surfing a lot and doing a lot of yoga and meeting a bunch of cool people and I just kept making money. Wow. And it wasn't millions of dollars, mm-hmm. but I mean it's a significant six-figure income for what I felt wasn't doing much work and I would just be able to promote the things that I like to promote. I wasn't forced to have to hammer and promote a ton of things or promote every launch. You don't see me doing that. I just promoted when I wanted to. And I just kept making great money. And from that, I don't know, I realized I was living a real lifestyle business. Yeah, right. Before I think it became a cliche phrase, I accidentally stumbled into a lifestyle business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, yeah, that's true. It it has become such a cliche. And now to the point where people sort of manufacture that idea, right? Oh, yeah. I actually teach people how to manufacture it, too. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest about it. I, I um you mentioned too about i don't re- quite rem- remember the words you used that like i 
didn't prepare, but a lot of the social media stuff that I do is consciously created. Like I kind of know what I'm doing mm. to create the story. The driving the RV around the country, yeah. it was partly for me, mostly for me, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that I RV in a person's mind, an American person's mind, signifies retirement. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, you go on that big Griswold vacation or you do the RV trip. And I met so many people in RV parks along the the ride that I realized the beach and a big RV trip or even just a trip, a road trip across America doesn't even have to be in an RV is a very ingrained American thing that uh, to be on a bucket list. Right. Sure. And so I'm, I'm really aware of those kind of things. I don't let it totally drive me and I'm not like trying to fabricate these things, but I do leverage the things that help the narrative that I want to tell. Yeah. I, I think of it as you're sort of creating a setting, right? And you know that in, inherent in that setting is adventure. I mean, if you're off yeah. and I remember some of the great stories, uh, I think you broke down in, in, in like LA and one of the busiest strips. Is that right? Oh, dude, um, this is my first like hour and a half driving <laughs> RV. We're talking 38 foot diesel pusher. Mm. Um, so I'm white knuckling it, man. Just sketch out Friday, three something in the oh, afternoon. God. We're driving through Norwalk, which is just like east of Compton in LA. <laughs> I'm in the middle lane doing about 60, and all of a sudden, boom, my front driver's side tire pops. Oh. And the whole thing just starts rattling, and I'm dodging back and forth on the in the middle lane traffic zinging by everywhere and thank god it was la traffic because say what you want about horrendous traffic down there they know how to drive and they know how to avoid all kinds of crap at high speeds right and so everyone got away from me and i pulled over to the right and um cop came and actually wanted me to get the rv off the road he's like you need to drive it off this exit i was like on my rim you're out of your mind <laughs> driving this thing calling triple a he's like we can't shut down the lane and uh, i was like right on the white line and in fact the diesel had come by and his mirror had smacked my mirror wow um and so the cops like I, I, you got to drive this off there and i'm like tow it i was like please tow it no i'm like yeah i'm like are you driving it tow it i didn't didn't budget for a new rim (laughs) (laughs) well i ended up having to buy all new tires with the whole thing which was like six grand right out the gate first first couple hours but i ended up having an allen wrench in my pocket from taking apart a desk that morning and it was the same size that fit the passenger side window out there and i was able to cave that in and get about i don't know 12 more inches to move over Wow. And uh, and then I had hydraulic jacks just to pick it up. So Triple H is like, boop, boop, got me a tire real quick. And... That's great, dude. So, yeah, it was uh, – there was always adventures on the road. I had a cameraman following me th- um, and filming his adventures. And That's right. I remember that. The Road Bandit Randy Prim. And we were in Texas, and I told him one day, I was like, you need to fill up the tire pressure on the back dually there. He's like, oh, man, I ain't got to do that. And I was like, yeah, you knew. He's like, I can't get to the valve stem. I was like, you better find that valve stem. He's like, you don't want to blow a tire. I'm, I can tell you. And uh, sure enough, he didn't fill it up. We're driving like past El Paso. If you've ever done El Paso to Austin, mm-hmm. you, you feel like you're in Iraq. Yeah. It, it, there ain't nothing. Mm-hmm. At least you can drive 100. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, poor homeboy blew a tire, the inner tire, 
and the shrapnel and the metal inside the tread went up and ripped through his shitter, sliced a <laughs> hole all the way down. Uh, and he didn't leave a deuce on the highway. He left like a 20 or a 200 just <laughs> dripping all the <down. laughs> So time for the triple a guy to come oh man i cannot believe the balls on that guy he was underneath that whole thing with the stuff dripping on him i'm like oh you know what that is he's like it's all good and i'm like no it really isn't (laughs) (laughs) it's all good Uh, i ain't had a call in six months man this is great (laughs) so the crazy thing is the more that this stuff happened i would just share it with people and people loved it and Mm -hmm. they really got it inside into my life and um and I just got to be me, me. Yeah. And then it translated to where now I can connect with business folks and entrepreneurs and offer my insights and partner up or, you know, help them come up with pitches or help uh, put some of my copywriting guys on their jobs. And it all comes from people knowing me so well and knowing those stories and uh, having a lot of trust in who I am. Right. Yeah. And it, it also represents the, the idea and this is where, you know, like you say, you, you, another thing you coach people on is you're sort of creating this lifestyle persona. And it, it's important because part of what we're doing is showing what's possible and being that thing that wakes people out of their zombie state that day, right? Um, you know, it's, it's entertainment. It is infotainment that we provide. It's not just... If it, you know, if it were just straight ahead PowerPoint presentations, it would just feel like another bad office meeting. It's, totally, it's our job to, you know. Well, it's really be interesting. It's really interesting. I noticed you did a couple broadcasts. I've only done a couple too, but the new app Periscope on our phones, where we can all just go live and get, yeah, you know, as authentic as we want in any given moment. And um, yeah, what do you what do you think of Periscope so far? I, I'm, you know, I don't. I'm still very skeptical of it as a marketing tool. I I think it depends. I, I think if your thing is like soccer tips or like a keyword, it might um, lend itself to some easier traffic for some people than going on is like Jim Schmidt. Um, yeah, you know, Jim, you know, Jim's network might not be all that large, whereas the <laughs> people who are into soccer might be more because even myself, I, I would, you know, I have a decent audience, but it isn't uh, like they're all going to just show up and download a new app. You're asking someone to that put lot. something on their phone nowadays. That's prime real estate. Right. You know? right. Get, get some app space on my phone. Right. Um, so I think other people feel that way, too. I haven't given it a fair shot or really enough promotion to know. But. Yeah, I haven't either. I, I don't know. Some some people I I respect are, are, are really excited about it, but uh, they're also using it. You know, two three times a day, their their Periscope and stuff. And the thing that's that's aggravating to me about it right now is, you know, I get that you have to respect the format, but it's so raw, which in some ways is cool. Um, that, uh, but for, for the way we typically present information, like, you know, you want to get to the meat pretty quick. So people aren't, you know, frustrated. And I just tune into these cats and they're just going on and on and on for 10 or 15 minutes saying hello to yep. everybody who comes in. 
and keep promising me what they're going to teach me. And then it's like, man, I, I just don't have the patience, you know? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think that's part of that game, though. I think, Yeah, it uh, is. And, um, and I noticed, too, like, you know, if you watch a John Lee Dumas webinar, mm-hmm. uh, he'll do the same thing. And maybe you, maybe you pop on, if it's supposed to start at 7, maybe you pop on at 6.50 and do all your shout-outs and yeah. get everybody pre-warmed up. And I think that's a smart thing to do. Right. But, I, yeah, I always try to respect people's time. And I think... I think it probably maybe hurts me a little bit that I don't do all that recognition. And it's, for me, it's distracting. I was watching a Periscope today. I won't name who it is. And he's giving his content, you know, I'm tuning in for this reason to learn what his headline said. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's coming, but as new people keep popping on, they keep acknowledging them, interrupting the content. I'm just like, yeah. And I get it from both sides. Yeah. But, yeah, that's the thing to me. It seems very distracted and, and, and just, I don't know, the energy of it's very different, right? So, but but, but the, the amazing thing as a tool, you know, as a voyeuristic thing, man, I've seen like uh, one of the Rolling Stones road crew, you know, had it out before the concert started, you know, packed stadium and they're walking on stage and people are yeah. waving and screaming and they're showing Charlie Watts drum kit and a lot of cool stuff like that. Or just some wacko will just turn it on and go about their business and every once in a while kind of acknowledge that it's there and, and, and ask somebody where they're from. And I don't know, that's kind of fascinating to watch for a minute. But um, I'm with you, man. I, I feel like it's a, just a very distracted environment. It feels a little desperate on, yeah. on, on the end of the host to have to constantly, I'm engaging, you got me, I'm right yeah, here. I, I don't I know, agree. man. I watched you... Uh, do it and i had a similar thought too when you were on another podcast i think maybe ben settle or something you set it up to record yourself right i I thought it was cool but then it kind of lacked out on the the engagement that everybody's so excited about right exactly right and um i watched the other day jim gaffigan the comedian Mm. i subscribed to him and he he did a funny one where he was in a cab and he was chatting with the cab lady and that was interesting and then he did with his kids like all he's got a lot of kids if you pay attention to his comedy actually went to a show the other night and so that was a really interesting thing for fans to see who have heard all the jokes about the kids but then get to actually see them at the dinner table now did he have a lot of people on his his um his broadcast yeah like five to seven hundred yeah it was it was one of those ones too where it's like the broadcast is too full only early adopters can comment Oh, interesting. I haven't seen that. Yeah, I guess if some people go beyond capacity, um, they only let early Periscope people come. Yeah, watch John John uh, Mayer turns it on. And I, did, I don't even know if it was him. It sounded like him. <laughs> but he never put it on his face, you know. But he was just like showing. He's like, I want to show you this thing I do when I'm doodling. It's, it's, I have this weird way of creating block letters. And it was, it was just interesting to sit there and it's like, well, only if you knew John Mayer would you know that he does this and would he show you this, right? So uh, those little, to me, I guess the celebrity factor makes it more interesting because like you said, it's someone you, you, you've been curious about and now you're getting to this, this peek into their world. Yeah, I think it works that way much easier than the reverse than right. Jim Schmidt trying to build an audience and start from there. Right. Yeah, you know, and it's it's 
it's hard to sell that kind of a lifestyle program because it's not something you can promise to someone overnight or even in a week. I mean, you got to put in serious legwork to really build a following and fans and you got to be consistent over time. And most people don't have all those qualities. That's the truth. Yeah. What, what do you tell people who are just a little boring? You, you, you promise you can help them be less boring or what do you? Well, I, I can't promise anything for mm-hmm. someone like that. But what I always say um, to people, a lot of people just don't have stories like maybe you or I do. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done a lot of crazy stuff and really explored. A lot of people haven't. Right. But there's no reason that they can't make a bucket list right now and start going and doing them today. You can literally go do all kinds of stuff knowing that you're going to be able to get a great story out of it too and you're going to get a real upgrade in life and having fun and enjoying things. You don't have to be a stiff forever. So, <laughs> like, you, you can be boring in a sense too, but boring yeah. can be funny presented right. No, I'm with you. Uh, and that's what you I... Know, I don't think Stephen Wright... I think right. I would classify Stephen Wright as very boring. He seems boring, but it's hilarious. That's the thing. And you just hit on exactly what I tell people when they ask me, well, how do I be funny or, you know, how to be more engaging? I say, look, one way is, you know, don't stop trying to not be yourself. Like you can't manufacture a personality, but what you can do is find, you know, identify the comic that you would be if you were a comic and really study why, what makes them funny? Why are they getting laughs? What, what, what kind of patterns are they using? Yeah, the rhythm and cadence. Yeah, and, and you know, take that a little bit. And, um, and it, it, it's, it's an interesting, like you said, you know, you don't have to be stiff forever. You know, I love that. Yeah, I think there's one thing, too. I think a lot of just vocal confidence is something that people lack as well. There's a course out there by Roger Love on vocals that I recommend a lot. And whether you want to learn to sing or just to enunciate better and talk. Oh, really? And set that, yourself a little bit better. I was just saying to somebody today that it, I wanted to learn to sing at 45 years old. I love to sing and I'm terrible at it. So Yeah, I've heard you singing. Yeah, it's bad. It's uh, not horrible. It's pretty bad. It's well, I just, not, I'm tone deaf. I, I don't know. You, I couldn't. If somebody said be in this key, I, I wouldn't know how to do that. Yeah, yeah. So it's, tell me about this Roger Love thing. Um. He's a vocal trainer for a lot of Hollywood celebrities and stuff. Mm. Like if someone needs to learn how to sing for a gig, often they'll go to him. He uh, touts Tony Robbins as one of his coaches along the way. Um, So he's been in the game for a long time. He's kind of like the go-to guy probably in like the Hollywood or famous industry. I've gone through the half of the course and it it just – for me, I I didn't practice stuff as much as I should. But it really – I understood intellectually why all these things make someone sound better when they talk. Right. I, I tend to um, slur a lot mm-hmm. and pop my P's and then all kinds of stuff. Um, but I'm aware of it and I try to get better through it. And I learned quite a bit from out of that. Right. Yeah. I've, and um, maybe you're finding that broadcasting regularly helps. You know, the, the ultimate thing, too, is just not caring. And that's, we are all, I'm the worst that I know about criticizing my own work. If I watch a video, I want to delete it. But ultimately, you just have to not care what other people think. And you're saying, be yourself. You have to be, not only just be yourself, but be cool with yourself. Like, really, Mm -hmm. I think so much of this stuff is self-help. But we can't sell it as that, or we can't address it as that, or people won't buy it. But the reality is that everyone I know who invests heavily in self-help, 
is showing in their bank account and in their life and in their oh, relationships. Yeah. And so to avoid the self-help part of the business equation to me is, I don't know, it's like it seems to be suicide or just creating something that either isn't sustainable or likable. That's the truth. Yeah, you can't grow your business if you don't grow your yourself, you know. It sounds like a cliche, but um, it's so true. And, you know, that's why you see people uh, that you'll see, say, at a conference early in their career, right? And they they got sort of like the busted shoes and, you know, they're just like barely scraped together to get there. Then you see them after they catch some traction and they're and, you know, they they got some some uh, some momentum, a little mojo working. And then now they get rich and suddenly they're focused on their, their health and they're getting like really fit and muscular and tan. Yeah. And now they're going to build schools in Africa. Right. You know, yeah. it's just like riding, watching riding them a, riding a Mustang horse to the <laughs> seminar. That's, that's what I wanted. To do. I actually tried when I spoke at Kern's event, I was trying to get donkeys from Tijuana. To come in with me. <laughs> but the hard rock wouldn't bring it. Let them be bring it. <laughs> I was like, surely we can get a mariachi band and some donkeys for a few hundred bucks. (laughs) (laughs) We can just get it through customs. We'll be good. That's good. All right, dude. I I want to respect your time. But, uh, you know, I'm just going to ask you, because, again, I mentioned that anybody who follows you on Facebook, Jason Moffat, M-O-F-F-A-T-T, your profile is public, right? Anybody could yeah, come. Yeah, yeah, it's public. My personal, if you just did my first and last name, it goes to my business page, which okay. I neglect way too much. But my personal profile is pretty active. You just got to put an E, my middle name, Everett, Jason E. Moffitt on Facebook. Okay, cool. And um, so this new fascinating chapter in your life is uh, your, you know, sort of like instant family. Um, you fell in love with a woman who has, I believe, two children. Yep. And her youngest boy is is autistic. Yep. And, and you know, I got to tell you, bro, it's been so uh, inspiring to watch you, you know, fall in love with this kid and and devote yourself to understanding, you know, his challenges more and uh, the little victories that you guys celebrate that you you know, he achieves, you talk a little bit about what you've learned, you know, through that journey with him. Well, it's dude, There's so many, yeah. Like answers to that. So yeah, we, we get huge wins all the time. I say often that, um, parents have the big moments with their kids first step or the first word. I feel like we get those kind of experiences every day mm. because, in the almost eight months now since he's lived here, we've implemented a really strict diet that's helped him tremendously go from you know hitting himself and screaming and being pretty much nonverbal to using words and using them appropriately and um, not hitting himself importantly mm-hmm. um, and just be a real loving kid and has been reading like crazy and uh, watching him pull out of it. It's just mind-blowing. And if you know the stats of what's going on around the country right now, and and I'm not sure in the world, but about one in 44 kids now are diagnosed with autism, wow. pri- primarily males. Yeah, so the uh, and the, the increase in the rate of growth is astronomical. I mean, it's beyond any other disease we know of right now. And um, if it continues at that trend, 
we face like all kinds of issues. Um, it's not easy to take care of an autistic kid. It's not cheap to do. Mm. Um, it'll create a societal burden. Um, so not really here to discuss the cause and all that stuff. Right. Um, but it's imperative that we get some answers and the answers we found have just been really dietary related and it's helped them so much. And, you know, it's a ton of love and work and, um, structure and a whole lot of genius on both of our parts of just figuring out how he works. And so one of the things I teach in my niche famous program is, is empathy. We do a whole lesson on actually how to develop more empathy and uh, with him, I can't necessarily communicate through words, so I have to um, really get into his shoes in a really strange way and try to see why he may be flapping his arms or his eyes are twirling around or it looks like he's on LSD as he's looking at the wood grain and it's all swirling around. I'm like, I know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're tripping balls, kid. I'm like, I've been there. So many things he does are just like acid trip. And I'm like, what? I was like, mm. are these funguses in your body like making you trip? Mm. And uh, and it's a real possibility that they are. And um, I really knew he was on acid when I saw him. He can't sit down for like 15 seconds at a time. But we sat through like six Pink Floyd songs. <laughs> <laughs> you, like, you put on the Wizard of Oz and yeah. Yeah, I was like, it's totally acid. That's so wild. Like, Interesting. Hmm. So it's been, yeah, a real interesting journey. It's taken up a ton of my life and, um, and focus. And so I'm trying to balance the business and that in the middle of moving the whole family to Hawaii, um, building a few different businesses with some really great partners. Yeah. And, uh, it's tough, man. That's great, bro. Well, I think you're up to the task. You know, you're, you're not built like most people, Jason. Well, here's yeah. the thing. It's been a blessing because as I just turned 40, um, it's forced me to actually really grow up. When I was, when I was 30, I was over in the shack with no plumbing, uh, hustling magic tricks. I was like, I got to figure out what the hell I'm going to do. <laughs> and so the next 10 years were amazing. You know, I figured out pretty much what I wanted to do. And now this decade of my forties, I really believe, I believe this is the best time of our lives that we're going to really have 40, 55 maybe. Yeah. And I really want to maximize it. And now having a family, um, uh, just creates a scenario where I really need for everything to come together uh, and utilize everything I learned in the last 10 years and in my whole life, actually, and uh, help myself, help my family, and help as many other people as I can. I love it, bro. Uh, you're a good man, Jason, and let everybody know where they where they can come uh, outside of your Facebook page. To oh, get they can probably just Profit Moffitt is my business blog, uh, and Jason Moffitt's my personal blog, which, like my fan page on Facebook, I kind of neglect Okay, cool. All right, ProfitMoffitt.com. That's M-O-F-F-A-T-T. And The Profit Moffitt Show is on iTunes, um, and it's really great. I heard an interview you did with Brad Goss today that really had me cracking up. So um, <laughs> That was a great episode. Number 26. Yeah, we're up to 26. 26, yeah. So. Good stuff. All right, thanks so much for being here. I uh, really appreciate you, man, and it's always, always great to talk to you, and we'll do it again soon. All right, thanks, bro. Okay, buddy, see you. Hey, thanks for listening to another fine episode of the Truth About Marketing podcast. I do appreciate your time. I know you have lots of choices. And if you're loving this podcast, I'm loving having you listen to it. And let's celebrate our relationship 
won't we, with a review, <laughs> a five-star review on iTunes.com. You know that's how they judge these things, right? iTunes looks at how many people rate and review your podcast, and then they decide if it's worthy of telling other people about. So if you think this is a good podcast and you think other people like you should hear it, if you go to iTunes and rate and review the show, that's the best way to get the word out. Really appreciate it. If you want to learn more about how to improve your copy, you can do that on the inside at copychief.com and visit copychief.com forward slash T-A-M to get all the links and resources we mentioned on today's episode. The Truth About Marketing podcast is produced by James Clouser, graphics by Cassie Clouser, and the bullets for this show, so handily displayed for you, written by Dan Ludgater. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.